Hey, FFR listeners. Did you know that if you join our Patreon community, you can get nifty perks like early access, exclusive weekly bonus segments, access to our friendly Discord, and more? That's right. You can get cool stuff and help us keep doing FFR at the same time. What are you waiting for? Go to patreon.com slash femfreak. How do we get to a point where we can talk about the materiality of the black body without falling into horrific patterns wherein it is just the body, where the the corporality of black people is always first and foremost, but we don't ever talk about other groups in the same way. Like, I don't know that I've ever heard someone say like the white body. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and I cannot sing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joined today by two women who both set fire to their marriage beds, Carolyn Pettit. Hey, hey. And Ebony Adams. Hey. This week, we'll be talking about the acclaimed, genre-defying, supernaturally-tinged drama, Atlantics. Did you swallow your gum? Nope, it's on here on my laptop. Shut up. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. I didn't, there's no garbage can in here, so I'll throw it away when I leave. That is so gross. There's a trash can right there. Y'all, Ebony just stuck her gum on her computer. (laughs) No one else uses a computer but me. Oh, boy. That's how she treats feminist frequency property. Well, (gasps) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Carolyn, how are you this fine evening? I'm doing pretty good. Um, but, you know, let me. Uh, so we used to do a segment called Entertainment News. And, you know, we're talking about maybe bringing it back in one form or another. But I thought, you know, uh, just because I just literally saw this like 10 minutes or so before we're recording, uh, I want to quickly mention this clip I just saw going around the Twitterverse of Trump at a rally, a uh, yeah. recent rally, railing against the fact that Parasite. Uh, won Best Picture at the Oscars because it's a it's a South Korean film and it's a foreign film. Now, keep in mind, this is a guy who, of course, because he loves and only understands and respects like domination and and power and like strong arm tactics. Loves like Kim Jong Un of North Korea, but <laughs> but this South Korean film winning Best Picture is is you know is absolutely like unacceptable, and of course it plays so well to his crowd. Him complaining about a, a foreign film winning Best Picture, but also one of the most revealing uh, moments in his his rant is when he says, uh, uh, "Can't we can't we get Gone with the Wind back?" Oh my um, god. Because Trump is, in many ways, uh, at least as I as I put it on Twitter, uh, a symptom of the fact that Gone with the Wind never really went away, right? But when he says "Make America Great Again," you know, Gone with the Wind is probably not too far <laughs> from the America that he's conjuring in people's minds oh, with boy. that statement. So, what's what's really interesting is that <clears throat> I would have expected that Trump, Trump, <laughs> that Trump wouldn't even be aware of a film like Parasite. And so his well, he, anger, I, he, such as it is, is, pro- is entirely yeah. manufactured, right? It's on. No, it's I, been given to him by someone else because as far as Trump himself is concerned, f- foreign films, even film, I can't imagine this man sitting down to watch anything that isn't Fox News soundbites. Maybe he likes yeah. Finding Nemo. 
I can't. Or even Finding imagine. Dory are those different? Movies? I think honestly, he probably oh, just God, sits around yeah. wondering when he can ask people about badgers again. Like I can't imagine him <laughs> watching anything. What do you think Cho's favorite movie is? Cannonball. Well, Run. he. So interestingly, he um, many years ago. Uh, he, there was a, a segment shot with Trump for an Academy Awards uh, segment in which he talked about loving Citizen Kane. But uh, oh, that tracks. <laughs> wow. But it also in the in the in his like spiel about like why he loves it. I mean, his interpretation of the film it, like is very very different from what most like experts or whatever would yeah. interpret it as being about. Like to him, it's about like a great you know, a great man, like, or whatever, uh, where like all of the kind of the criticism, the subtext, et cetera, is just like completely lost um, on him. And to, and regarding Parasite, to be clear, it's extremely obvious in the clip that he he's aware of the film because it won Best Picture, but he obviously hasn't seen it. I mean, he even oh, says right. during his spiel, he's like, is, is it good? I don't know. Like he doesn't, he, he doesn't know or care. Like, it's just the very idea of it winning that to him is, is, uh, wrong. Do you think he watches films like, um, it's a wonderful life. And he's like that Mr. Potter had the right idea. <laughs> oh my God. What a buffoon. I feel like he would like a movie that is like dirty Harry. Sure. No, but a movie that is like, um, there, what, I, there's a movie I'm thinking of where it's supposed to be like critiquing racism, but it's also just doing it. But Green he, book, <laughs> what? Uh, Crash. Uh, anyways, it was an older film. Whatever. Um, hey Carol, quick question. Yo, is uh, is that your radiator making noise in the background? Oh, it sure is. Hey okay, folks, if you cool. if you don't already know, uh, Shea Caro is a wonderfully luxurious. Uh, apartment with uh, vintage heating equipment <laughs> that um, that likes to make loud clangy noises. So if you hear any hisses and clangs, that's just the the character and personality of my apartment coming through on the recording. Perfect. Wow. Just wanted to call that out. It sounds a little bit like a faucet to me. That's uh-huh. my interpretation oh, well, this, of the like, ambiance at Carol's house. Yeah. Yeah. It's all part of the charm. Charm. Speaking of charm. Uh, let's get into the main segment about Atlantics. <laughs> when a wealthy tycoon building a massive tower in the Senegalese capital of Dakar withholds pay for months from a group of construction workers, he gives them no choice but to seek better fortunes across the sea in Spain. But once the men depart, strange things begin to take place. Meanwhile, a young woman named Ada is forced into marriage with wealthy Omar. Nobody knows anything about Omar. He's just rich. <laughs> Uh-huh. Anyways, but her heart belongs to Suleiman, one of the poverty-stricken workers who left on the ship. The night of her wedding, the marriage bed bursts into flames, and the detective assigned to investigate the case has no idea just how tangled up in its web he will become. Co-writer and director Maddie Diop's Atlantics is not a film that lends itself easily to plot summaries. It's poetic, haunted, richly textured film with concerns about gender, wealth, and power. And remarkably, when it entered competition at the 2019 Cannes Film Festival, it was the first film ever directed by a black woman to do so. So there you go. Yeah. Uh what, so, uh, so first of all, uh, <laughs> I, I absolutely loved this film. I loved it so Thank much. Thank you. But, I so but, most. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. I was shocked. worried. I, I was I worried that I would be the only person who liked this movie, but I loved it. 
But it's it is hard. It is a tougher film to talk about than the mm-hmm. films that we usually talk about on this podcast. Because at least you know, I think at at least at first glance, in some ways, because it is more. I mean, at least the experience of watching this film and, and, and what a big part of what made it so compelling to me, just the texture and the atmospheric quality of it. And the, I mean, it's just visually to me, just so beautiful in its, um, the way that it evokes the uh, Dakar as a, as a city. Um, I mean, you know, watching this film, I almost get frustrated watching films like this that are about people and places that I've almost never been exposed to in my cinematic diet, like as a white American person uh, who, of many decades of age. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like extraordinary films, I, I'm sure, are, you know, obviously, of course, are made in Senegal, like all the time, or certainly this isn't the first. And yet, like, stories like this, these characters, their culture, I mean, it's, 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 been basically completely absent from my entire cinematic diet. So just in that sense, to be like exposed to these images and these people and everything, it it was just uh, so wonderfully like stimulating and, and captivating, Um, you know, not to mention uh, my just deep appreciation of the, the skill with which the film weaves together. It's, it's, it's concerns about, about wealth and labor and power and, and gender and, and all of those things. Yeah, I mean, I, I suggested this movie and um, I was very glad that y'all agreed to talk about it. I mean, the reality is that by far, you know, the the overwhelming majority of the things we talk about on this podcast, you know, are white. Um, they are created by white filmmakers. They they tend to be white stories. They also tend to be Western. And so um, I was really excited to learn about this film. Um, by the way, it's available to stream on Netflix, and I encourage people to check it out. Um, but I had heard about it when I learned that Mari Diep, the director, was the first black woman to um, screen a film in competition at Cannes, which is absurd. It's so absurd that it's, it's almost unbelievable. Um, it is unbelievable. I did not know very much about the film going into it. And I was so um, immediately immersed in this African futurist, supernatural, you know, slow moving, as you say, Caro, you know, poetic and haunted story. Um, The way that it is shot, the way that the narrative is composed, it's not... I mean, it, it is and it is not about the love story between Ada and Suleiman and uh, and how she sort of lives through her grief and the ways that grief kind of, you know, inhabits a community. Um, it is also about the kind of interventions of um, colonialism and, you know, and Western uh, technology in a way as, as divorced from like African um, technologies that I just found so fascinating. Like the images of that tower in the yes. background of those shots just blew me away. They, I mean, just absolutely blew me away. And I love, you know, I love the subtlety of it. Like, so obviously, so it's a film that has like science fiction elements. I mean, the mm-hmm. tower looks very much like something out of a science fiction film. It has supernatural elements, but... I mean, it, so the feel of the film though, it, I mean, for lack of a better term, I mean, okay. I think regular listeners of the podcast, you know, know that there's a type of film we often refer to uh, uh, as the Caro film, which Uh I would describe as often like a slice of life type movie, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, 
is, is one way of putting it. Like a film that kind of moves with, it's more interested in character than in narrative and, and things of that nature. And to me, like uh, Atlantics is a, it's a film full of genre elements, but it doesn't feel like a genre film. Right. It, it has the like slice of life kind of uh, rhythm and observational quality and concern foremost first and foremost with character so those science fiction and like supernatural elements are there but they're they're not handled in the conventional kind of mainstream formulaic entertainment way which is not to say that i i mean i have a lot of respect for a lot of genre filmmaking i don't mean to dismiss genre filmmaking out of hand but but to me this was just so refreshing in the, the 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 sort of naturalistic way that it handled this story that is full of really these elements that are that are uh, paranormal or or super or supernatural. I mean, I think it's hard to even call it a genre film or supernatural in that it felt like it it felt so naturally part of this story. Mm-hmm. Like it was definitely, there's a moment where you realize this is happening and you're kind of shocked. And I, I that was when I was like, wait, what? I like perked up. I was like, mm-hmm. what's going on? But it feels, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it. Like I, I'm not trying to be dismissive by saying this, but it feels like just a prop. Like it feels like such a, just a, a way to engage the story as opposed to being like, this is a movie about, Mm-hmm. sci-fi or this is a movie about like it, it felt very natural um it there's not a lot of fanfare it was just it's the kind of whimsy almost that is is super subtle that like everyone in the world just kind of goes with so it feels baked in and natural mm-hmm. to the environment yeah i mean i guess <clears throat> i know what you're saying but when you um when you said like it almost feels like a prop um that it, it it's not something that infuses the entire film I would say that in a way, for me, it does the precise opposite. I think, you know, there's a version of this film that was created, you know, um, in America, you know, with a a white cast um, in which like surfaces and interiors are very sterile. And it has the look that we are accustomed to, you know, like we are accustomed to seeing in a in a science fiction film or in a um, in a horror thriller. Excuse me. But part of what I loved about this is that, you know, I... I was seduced into having my expectations subverted and not questioning it, you know, because it did feel so natural and so easy. So, you know, when we first see, um, I can't remember the the character whose eyes we first see with like, you know, sort of Milky Way. I, I'm going to spoil what happens. It's not the kind of film where, you know, um, you're going to like, there's a twist that I'm revealing. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So uh, these young men who go to sea, you know, seeking any kind of a life because they haven't been paid by their asshole capitalist boss, um, all die at sea. Their spirits, their souls, something about them, they possess the bodies of people back home, um, including their wives, girlfriends. So you have these fantastic scenes of these young women walking the streets at night, exactly like zombies, you know, with in in shadow um, and in in silence. And this is the same movie that started off being, you know, about a teenage girl falling in love, you know, kissing, keeping things from her parents, et cetera. And yet there there was no sort of um like seam, there was no demarcation that felt too abrupt for me. Like it just, 
it flowed so easily. It was very you know? seamless. Yeah. 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 That's a good way of describing it. And, um, and I oh, think that, and I think the larger themes are, are similarly elegantly handled. You know, there's a moment. So, um, so after, uh, so the, on the night of Ada and Omar's marriage, um, as we mentioned in the, in the intro, uh, the, the, the marriage bed just sort of it bursts into flames and it's pegged as like an arson case. And this, this young kind of, I think, promising detective is, is, you know, assigned to the case. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, he, the, the detective kind of knows the, uh, for reasons that there's a connection between the fact that, that this tycoon withheld pay from the construction workers for months between that uh, act of just absolute, like, injustice, an act that should be sort of criminal, um, and the subsequent, you know, the, the, the arson and just everything that, that's, that's happening um, in, in the wake of that. Um, but when he brings it up uh, to the commissar, uh, uh, you know, his, his sort of supervisor at the police station, um, the, 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 his boss is like, uh, that's, that's, not our, that's not our concern, right? The, the police do not care about violations committed by, uh, by, by people in power. They do not care about whatsoever about the plight of the working class, um, they, right? They, they, that those are not the the crimes that that they are interested mm-hmm. in, and you know the captain even says something like uh, the tycoon. You know he's he's been very good to us, right? So they benefit, right? That they right. have a beneficial relationship with his wealth and power, and therefore, like, look the other way. And I think that the film is constantly um, doing things like that, where these 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 larger um, concerns about power and, and labor and justice are, are very present in the film and the film is very concerned with them, mm-hmm. but they very, I would say organically and elegantly woven into the, into the narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, crucially the crime that the commissaire does want to investigate is the crime against the tycoon. So once these possessed girls break into his home um, and, you know, threaten to set fire to the tower, if he does not pay up the, the months of missing wages, this is the crime that the commissaire is concerned with um, and is given immediate priority. Um, Yeah. I think the, the ways that this film you know, both within the narrative and, you know, sort of on the meta level um, tackles the kind of like how this entire um, country, this entire society um, has been completely misshapen by the forces of colonialism and capitalism such that. So, you know, I I always watch um, films with subtitles. So that's, you know, it's not new. I know a lot of people don't like it, but get used to it. Also, it's awesome. But um, watching this film, I was so grateful that it comes with the subtitles that let you know, because my ear is not attuned to it, when um, the characters were speaking Wolof or Arabic or French or English, right? And you think to yourself like, where and when are people speaking French in this movie? And when do we see French? And it's in, um, it's on cell phone screens. It's in administrative places. Um, the the people in this film largely speak Wolof among themselves. Um, the language of um, sort of like police cooperate, cooperation, international co- police cooperation is English. Crucially, like there's just so much going on there, you know? That I that I absolutely yeah. loved. That it's a film that n- you have to pay attention to, 
but I felt so rewarded for paying attention um, to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a bit about, about too, it's, it's very significant concerns with, with, with gender and with, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the plight of, of women. So Ada, um, obviously she's in love with Soleiman, but, um, but, uh, she had, you know, she is given no real choice, but to marry Omar, uh, you know, who, who, uh, you know, as Anita, I think, uh, commented earlier, like we don't know anything about him, but that's kind of in a way I would say by design, because like Ada doesn't like, like him or, 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 or know him as a person or really want to know right. him as a person. But, but yet she, you know, she is in this position where, where she, you know, her, her, her life in that regard is not her own. Those but decisions are not her own to make. Also, we don't know anything about Suleiman either. So like, well, no, this is true, which they aren't super relevant. Like they're right. They're figures, but it is really about her and her perspective and her feelings. Yes. And I think but, that we associate more with Suleiman because she's so enamored with him. A hundred percent. Yeah. It is. It is very but much the, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh. we know, we know that he like, you know, is, is not getting wages and that he left and you get a little bit of time with him, but it's just, to me, they're both kind of equally not known because they're not really important. I agree mm-hmm. completely. I think you're exactly right. But uh, I, I mean, there's one scene that I think we have to at least mention and that is that um, that at a certain point in the film, uh, because her father demands it, oh, I, I believe that shit. Ada yeah. is taken to a to a, a doctor for a virginity test, which I, I mean, I presume is is checking whether that the hymen is intact. Is that what that would entail? It has to yeah, be, it, which we yeah, all know is ludicrous. not accurate. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Um, so you, I, mean, I was sitting there being like, oh fuck, oh fuck, like. Is yeah. she like, because regardless of whether she slept with anyone else, like that shit breaks real easy. Right. And, like, yeah. It's yeah. Not accurate. And so mm-hmm. the whole time I'm like, oh God, is that where this is going? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course the horror of knowing that this is a thing that happens that, you know, there are um, places and cultures. And by the way, this is not <laughs> restricted to, you know, um, no, other parts of the world, by the way, not. like the concern with women's purity and young girls purity, but just the ease which, which, with which this happens like oh we are going to the place where this can be done um yeah i just god there's so there's i'm curious what your thoughts are on there's and sorry carol there's so much stuff about gender in this movie in terms of like the roles that women um play and how like this doesn't feel it's a critique it, it's observing. This mm-hmm. film is observing the gender roles. Um, and it's showing that um, Ada uh, Ada doesn't want to do what she's supposed to do, but it's not like she wouldn't just go marry Suleiman and have the same, like have a poorer life, but still fill that role. So like, to me, the film showed issues of gender, but it's not like it was actively critiquing them. Um, and, and, you know, and, and and there's moments in which you're like, it's hard to like um, she gets mad at Omar or sorry, Omar got, gets mad at her because um, she's like, I'm not going back with you. And he's like, oh, fuck, whatever. You wouldn't give me a heart on anyway. Yeah. Um, which was one of these moments where you're like, OK, you are showing us how much of a dick this guy is. But just it felt like, oh, that's just what life is going to be like for a lot of these women. I didn't get that sense. Like, I do think, you know, in addition to um, commenting or observing um, 
the way that, you know, gender plays out in this culture, it's also very much um, uh, an observation on generational differences. And so, you know, the older generation represented by like the parents, um, especially the older women who, you know, largely wear the veil um, and who are perceived or shown as being, you know, religiously observant, um, being subservient to their husbands and partners, et cetera, versus, you know, this very free, wild um, fiercely independent crop of young women, I do get the sense that even if um, Suleiman had not died, that the relationship between him and Ada would have been different because it was built upon a different kind of foundation. It was not, you know, um, an arranged marriage, right? But also he treasured her. Well, I don't, but theoretically but that scene where they're like making out in the beginning got a little gross to me Mm -hmm. when she's like i gotta go and he's like no just one more just one more let me trick you into Mm -hmm. kissing you more and you find out later that he realized like you're like oh he's not gonna see her again but that whole scene was fucking gross to Mm -hmm. me like it was it was troubling Mm -hmm. in the the sexual pressure that was there and the Mm -hmm. not respecting her boundaries Mm -hmm. and so to me i'm like well who is he any better, any different? Mm-hmm. I doubt it. She just likes him more. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like we know anything about whether he's like a good guy or better than anyone else. He's just not a rich asshole. Right. No, I guess we, we there's no um, objective view. Um, like there's no sort of, you know, omniscient view that tells us like this person is good or there's not like an, um, a global omniscient view that tells us this person is good and gives us, you know, like an interpretation of people. But I do think we are meant to understand certain characters via Ada's view of them. Right. And her view certainly is this is the man that I love. And re- the relationship that we have is built upon like this mutual you know, affection yeah, and love but it also versus feels like, this other person. Totally. But it also feels like puppy love. Well, also the yeah, fact but that I she was getting kind of the married. Point. I was like, is she 12? Like, yeah, I think yeah, that was kind of the yeah, point. Like, totally. And this actually leads me to the other thing. One of the things that I loved about this movie, and I kind of struggled with wrapping my head around how to talk about it. Um, and Carol, when we talked about Booksmart, I had um, kind of a similar realization. <clears throat> I so appreciate Um, films in which we get to see young people and really like, you know, gaze at them and witness kind of just the beauty of youth in a way. God, that sounds so cornball and cheesy. Um, And so I'm looking at Atlantics and I'm just like so enamored of the way that Ada looks, her face. And it's not just that she's a beautiful young woman. There's something about the quality of youth that you know the um, the DP and the director have managed to convey there, and I, I wanted to talk about it, but it it brought up the issue that I have with um, talking about the the bot the the movie as a whole and the other people in it, because as I'm looking at her face and body and cherishing this very loving approach to this young black woman. I'm thinking about the violence, you know, and trauma suffered by these young black men in the movie. And so this is a kind of comment about me and my movie watching rather than the movie itself. But I was like, how do we get to a point where we can talk about the materiality of the black body without falling into horrific patterns wherein it is just the body where the the corporality of black people is always first and foremost, you know, and, and I'm thinking yeah. like I want to talk about it, but we don't ever talk about 
other groups in the same way. Like, I don't know that I've ever heard someone say like the white body, you know, in the way that I have heard so many times the black body. And yet I want to talk about in this movie how this, the black body, I don't know. It's like, yeah. to one, my the thing I was thinking about is related to this, but just really quickly about Ada. Um, mm-hmm. she was the only woman who didn't have her hair done. You mean like it was like she she braided her hair at the very end, but mm-hmm. like for for most of it, her friends all had their hair braided or some mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. whatever it might be. She was mm-hmm. the only one that had like fully natural hair, or like I don't know how to describe it, but it just wasn't done, which I thought was really interesting. It made her look younger. Right. Um, and it made her look less put together than everyone else, which was an interesting choice. Less put together. Um, I question the use of the word done, because I think that's the other thing that I love about this movie, right? Like it I, is so perfectly not Western. Yeah. Well, so and I'm I'm glad you said that because I wasn't meaning it. I, I did mean it how I said it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that like we aren't used to that mm-hmm. in film mm-hmm. and in television and especially how black hair is so politicized too, mm-hmm. that it's a very interesting choice that mm-hmm. the star of the film is like in contrast. You know what? Now that I'm saying it out loud, it's in contrast to her older friends who wear a scarf, mm-hmm. the veil and in contrast to her newer friends who are referred to as the quote unquote sluts mm-hmm. who are like very femme. Mm-hmm. And she's just kind of like existing in this, between state, Mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense now that I say that out loud. It does. And I think, you know, it is very important that she has hair that um, I don't think is like chemically processed, but it's certainly been, you know, like brush or, you know, blown dry and straight, Mm -hmm. but it is escaping the, 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 um, the band that she has trying to hold it back in the way that like her emotions are escaping and her desires are escaping. But then at the end, um, she does get her hair braided, you know, by uh, Dior, who is just amazing to me. And I want Dior's life, like running that bar on the beach. Oh, my God. Um, and just, you know, smoking and waking up and getting high. Um, but she gets her she gets her hair done um, in this very traditional African style. She does not wear a wig or a weave like some of her other friends. She does get this very traditional African style, but it is her version um, of how she like she is making the decision to do this. I just thought, yeah, yeah, little well, things so, like that. I loved. So the thing about bodies. So this I don't think is necessarily as much about black bodies and what you were talking about. But I I made a note about how this story is told through the lens of women, mm-hmm. and and so the and this is we've already done a spoiler warning, but that the women. Almost, it's almost entirely women that have mm-hmm. their bodies possessed. And mm-hmm. it's through the women that we're hearing the demands of these right. men and that they're the ones doing the haunting. And so I'm torn in how I'm interpreting that because mm-hmm. it is it was fucking visually cool. Like mm-hmm. it was really neat to see them and, mm-hmm. and this component. But also like it's still it's I don't know. It's about men or it's mm-hmm. the men who are who are controlling the situation and therefore controlling women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Right? Do you see my conundrum here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it made sense to me in that if um, the closest person to you is your partner, you know, your girlfriend, your wife or whatever, then, you know, it makes a sort of sense that if you are to come back and possess someone, it would be that person. But then it... Um, Issa, the um, the detective who was investigating Otis' case and the, the arson with uh, in the marriage bed... There's no, re- there would be no reason for him to be possessed by Suleiman. Look, I gotta say, mm-hmm. that shit. <laughs> I have, the, I made three notes. 
<laughs> one of them was she made out with the cop mm-hmm. she fucked the cop like those are two of your three notes well that was one that was <laughs> oh, one okay. of the three notes but like why did he possess the cop like guy cool twist story plot mm-hmm. twist blah 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 whatever but like that was very disturbing to me that she like is hooking up with this cop dude that was harassing her and like threw her in jail was being shitty and then like she's like cool i totally believe that you're my ex-lover and i'm gonna fuck you for the first time i ever have sex which is really the cop guy i just that i didn't like that Mm -hmm. i thought the way it was shot was really interesting and i like i like the the mirror kind of thing but i did i was just like that is a choice that was made that i feel uncomfortable with (laughs) (laughs) well i i think I don't know. I, I have not read anything um, from the director about why that specific choice was made as opposed to um, Suleiman. I mean, what would it have been for him to possess Ada, right? Like, where where would the story have gone there? Um, I don't know why that particular choice was made. But I was just, I found myself, you know, taking on some of Ada's investment in it and remembering the, like, just intense emotion you feel as a young person um, when you are in love with someone, you know, in a way that almost makes no sense um, to people who are older and who've lived a little bit longer, who have, Completely. you know, gotten I was thinking about, that like, too. your yeah. whole world is this person that you meet, you know, underneath the Ferris wheel or whatever. I just, oh, yeah. Um, so for those who give a shit, I don't disagree with anything that either of you have said, mm-hmm. but I had a really hard time getting through this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those movies where I'm like, I'm so glad this exists. I think it is really smart. It's just a little too Carol for me. Oh. <laughs> it's a little, a uh-huh. little, you know? And then I feel like an like I'm not intellectual enough. <laughs> <laughs> like I go through a lot of emotions when I watch these kinds of movies because I feel like I'm supposed to really like it and that I should be whatever. But I was, I, I, I watched it in two settings and there were many pauses. And yeah. I feel like, I will also say that, like, watch this movie and, like, give yourself the space to watch it. I watched it because I had to watch it quickly to record the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. And so I feel like I wasn't in the right mindset. But it is very slow. Mm -hmm. um, And you kind of have to go into it realizing that it's, like, um, it's kind of like a meditative viewing experience in some ways. It is. Don't watch this, um, if you can, with your phone in your hand doing something well, else. Well, you can't because you won't be able to understand what they're saying. Right. Um, but also, I don't think this is the kind of film wherein if you watch it in a couple of sittings that it somehow, you know, um, hurts the viewing experience or your understanding of it. I think this this film is... It is wide and deep enough um, to be able to support that. But I really would encourage people to check out this movie. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. That's cool. Everybody likes what they like. But I would ask you, and this is from your old pal Ebbs, if you do not like the movie before uh, writing it off or dismissing it, ask yourself, what is it about this that I don't like? I want to say... I want to say in my defense before you're like, you, don't you hate defense. black people. Well, is that is that, true. That is, is true. That I thought fucking peaches was goddamn boring as well. And those were white people. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> ask yourself why you don't like the movie, because I do think, you know, uh, and ask yourself like hard questions about like your, um, your viewing diet. Right. Because if you are not used to this kind of film, 
then it can be hard viewing for you. And, and I don't think there's any shame in recognizing, like, I'm just not used to this kind of thing. And here's why, um, you know, but I, I would ask people to to ask themselves that question. And I mean, it's like Carol said, like, how many of us here in this country, um, you know, who are not uh, the children of immigrants or immigrants ourselves, you know, from um, the African continent, how many of us know anything about African cinema? Like, for real, for real. You know, yeah. if it's not something like this, that's, you know, got play in a major international film festival, we would never have heard of it, probably, you know? Yeah. All right, y'all watch the fucking movie. Don't <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's on Netflix. You have no excuses. You have you have a Netflix password in some capacity, whether you pay for it or not. <laughs> All right. We'll be back with our weekly freakouts. Hey friends, Carolyn here. If you enjoy listening in on our conversations each week about what's happening in the world of media and pop culture and how that impacts our larger culture, please head on over to patreon.com slash femfreak and help us keep bringing FFR to you. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Carolyn? Hey. Hi. Uh, I'm going to freak out. Hi. I'm going to freak out hey, about. Hi. Are you going to freak out? <laughs> Do you oh, want me to freak, freak out or not, Anita? Um, <laughs> Go for it. Uh, I'm going to freak out about another Caro movie, another film that is just so incredibly Ugh. compelling and watchable, and I don't understand why other people have a hard time with them. <laughs> um, but uh, a film that uh, just went into wider release here in the U.S., uh, uh, called Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, this is a film by the acclaimed French filmmaker uh, Celine Sciamma. Um, it, um, gosh, there's so much I love about this movie. So uh, it takes place in like the 1770s. It is a lesbian love story. In I, I would say that to me, it is that rare film that is truly sensual and sexy. And, and it is, in my view, sensual and sexy because it really takes the time to establish the undercurrent of emotions and the longing between its two leads that the longing under the surface such so that you really feel it, which to me is so much more um, erotic and powerful than, you know, the kind of whatever, like a cursory sex scene uh in, that you know we so often get in like in like mainstream m movies that just doesn't do anything for me um it is um it, it's it's such a, a, a like it, it's a fascinating and richly layered film um you know i was reminded of our conversation last week about women in fiction uh experiencing cramps or not experiencing cramps women in this film definitely experience cramps and also though uh interestingly there's a, a woman uh, a young woman in the in the film who and i don't think this is a spoiler has uh an unwanted uh pregnancy and these methods that i'm sure are based in historical like tradition and fact from the period to try to sort of induce i think a uh, miscarriage or, or, you know, ca cause pregnancy to be lost. And that whole kind of sequence is, is really fascinating. Um, there is a, a brief conversation. Uh, so one of the primary characters is a painter, uh, a young woman painter, and 
there's a conversation briefly about how she's not allowed to study and paint male, like nude male models. She can study and paint nude female models, but not nude male models because men are the subject of great art, right? Art that focuses on women is of a lower, inherently of a lower tier. Mm -hmm. And that is the tier to which she, as an artist who happens to be a woman is relegated herself, um, you know, to allow her to understand and paint male anatomy uh, would be to allow her access to a world of greater art that she is for, from which she is forbidden. So, I mean, that is just absolutely fascinating. Um, it's deeply concerned with patriarchy. Uh, it is extremely romantic and, uh, and uh, just beautiful. Uh, um, yes. Uh, Portrait of a lady on fire. Uh, extraordinary film. Please go see it. Awesome. Ebony. What do you got? Uh, yeah, I'm freaking out about a podcast that's new to me that I'm really enjoying. It's called Off Menu, uh, co-hosted by two British comedians, James A. Caster and Ed Gamble. The conceit of it is they invite people on um, and they basically ask them, you know, to walk through what their dream uh, meal would be. They start off with, you know, starter, entree, dessert. And so you will have, it, it tends to be, you know, celebrities or people in entertainment. Um, and the episode I just listened to was um, Anthony Head, Giles yeah, from Buffy. It was really, it was a really good episode. Um, but so people say like, you know, I want, uh, you know, tapas from this restaurant I had, you know, on my honeymoon in Spain. And I want, you know, this sea bass, you know, from this place that I went to in New York and whatever. And so it just um, allows them to tell really great stories about their lives, their careers. It's a funny show. It's not just, you know, people talking about food, although that's a huge part of it. And that's great. Um, but yeah, I think Anita, for someone who loves food yeah, and going out to awesome. eat <laughs> as much as you would, it is a hilarious show. Um, but I also just love hearing about people sharing meals and everything. So oh, off menu meals. with James A. Caster and Ed Gamble. I've listened to like four episodes so far. Armando Iannucci is really good. Anthony Head. Um, I can't remember who else I've listened to, but check it out. <sighs> and he is freaking God. out about going to sleep tonight. Boy, I had to stay up late tonight too. All right. I am. Did I freak out about sex education season two already? I did, right? Not an episode that I was on. Well, shit. You can freak out about it. I'm not going to, but I'm still freaking out about that. It's real fucking good. I'm going to freak out about Dollface on Hulu. So so here's the deal. Here's the stitch, y'all. The stitch? The stitch. Okay. The crochet hook. The oh, new, God. Okay. Um, Hulu kept being like, watch Dollface, watch Dollface, watch Dollface. And I was like, all right, fuck it. I got nothing else to watch. So I put it on. It's a comedy with Kat Denning who you would remember from Two Broke Girls, but you don't because you didn't watch that show because it was fucking racist trash. Um, anyways, the show is charming. It's not like amazing and great and perfect and you should totally go out and watch it. But I'm like, you know, if you want to watch something on your lunch break, it's one of those kinds of shows. And I was surprisingly amused by it. The premise is that, um, I don't even remember her name, Kat Denning's character, um, Jules, I think her name's Jules. Uh, her longtime boyfriend dumps her, and she realizes that she has no friends and no life or anything outside of that relationship. And so the whole show is about her learning how to have friends again and like how to have female friends again. And you know, there's something kind of cute about that, you know, like surviving a breakup and like 
figuring out how like her character is supposed to be really awkward and weird and doesn't know how to socialize and doesn't really want to go to parties and like she's reconnecting with her college best friend there's also a, a whimsical nature where like all of a sudden like the environment transforms and she's talking to an anthropomorphic cat um I'm into you know like I mean, that. We, we've all been there. Yeah, right? Right? yeah. You know, like there, you get on a bus about like, and the bus is driven by the cat, and then some people get off at the Rebound Central. You know, some people get off. You know, like it's uh-huh, cute. It's, uh-huh. it's, it's cute, and you it's, know how it's it happens. It's also like a. Gr- You're talking about white shows. It's not all white cast, but it is so fucking white because it is deeply making fun of like millennial culture. Like, um, the place that she works is basically Goop, mm-hmm. and her boss is is a caricature. I don't know how you caricature Gwyneth Paltrow, but it's a caricature. <laughs> um, so it's that you know, it, it's it's charming. Okay, you know, okay. yeah, that's what I'm gonna say. Oh, and hey, guess what? What? We have a listener freak out this week. Shut up. We love when that happens. We do. We don't have it happen enough. We do not. Send in your freak outs. Send in your freak outs. But before you do that, take a listen to David Nylander talk about the Dragon Prince. I wonder if if he's like Scandinavian and it's like David or David instead of David, like an American would say his name. You let us know, buddy. You let us know how to say your name. <laughs> oh, little buddy. Okay. Hi, Feminist Frequency. Uh, I would like to freak out about the Netflix show The Dragon Prince. It is a fantasy show targeted towards kids, featuring a lot of elements widely associated with the fantasy genre. Dragons, magic, elves, etc. Uh, but it has a new and fresh take on it, uh, making it stand out from other works of fantasy, in my opinion. Uh, because while the overall story has a somewhat darker tone it doesn't stop from, uh, the show from being quirky and having lots of humoristic elements uh, it's one of the shows that cater both to young and mature audiences in that it's funny to both uh, kids and adults the show has put some effort into representation uh, having queer characters characters with disabilities as well as characters of many different ethnicities uh, that goes for both the actual characters and the voice actors portraying them I get the feeling they're trying to move away from gender stereotypes as well in the show, even though there are still some ways to go. Uh, It handles racism, raising morally and ethically complex questions, and throughout the show blurs the lines between good and evil. Uh, That's not to say that there isn't a good and evil side in the story, but the bad guys aren't evil just for the hell of it. They have their own motivations, which you as the audience can understand. Uh, I absolutely love this show and I look forward to someday watching it with my daughter when she gets a little older. It's on its third season now and from what I've gathered it will be uh, six or seven seasons in total. Uh, I definitely encourage you to give it a watch. Uh, The episodes are just 20 minutes long so time is really no excuse. That's all from me. Keep doing what you're doing. Live long and may the force be ever in your favor. Thank you so much for that. All right, y'all. Submit your own freakout at feministfrequency.com slash freakout. That's F-R-E-Q. O-U-T. Yes. We got there. We got there. Thank you so much for listening to Feminist Frequency Radio. That's what you have been listening to, in case you were unclear of this fact. Thank you for making it this far. We appreciate you. Stay tuned for the freaking after party. 
which takes you a little bit further of more of this wonderful content that we release. Oh, boy. Which is only available to backers of this podcast. So you can give us money for more of this content. Yeah, boy. And with that <laughs> intro, why wouldn't you? Patreon.com slash FemFreak. You can find us everywhere great podcasts are found. And if you haven't yet, go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review us. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and all the social medias at FemFreak. This show is engineered by Rob Para. Carrie Stimson provides technical support, artwork by Jamie Varon, and our intro music is by the incredible Phil Circus. I mean, all of those people are incredible. They really are. Yeah. Anyways, join us next week for another feminist dive into pop culture. Bye. Bye. Later.